and welcome to this week's episode of Mum Talk. So we're going to go straight in this week. This week I am here with Liz. Liz is the owner, founder of Mini First Aid Devon. She is a first aid instructor, but I'm going to let herself introduce um, herself and her business because I'm never going to get it right. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your background, Liz, and how you got into first aid and especially like infant and children first yeah. aid. Um, hi, I'm Liz and I run Mini First Aid Devon. Um, I'm a fully qualified paediatric first aid trainer. My uh, background with first aid is I used to fly for a long haul airline where um, obviously things can always go wrong in the air and aviation medicine covered paediatrics um, as well as a multitude of other things. Um, but when I started my family um, nine years ago, I gave up flying and I had a few years of being a stay-at-home mum, which was hardest job ever. <laughs> I've now got three little boys, um, and basically I was looking to go back to work, and three years ago, almost three years ago, I took on Mini First Aid Devon. And I haven't looked back since, because um, being self-employed, and my husband is in the military, so he's away, he's currently been away six months, um, I basically can just fit my work around my three little boys and all their clubs and the school run, etc. So um, life's a huge juggle, um, but it's also very rewarding. I think, and I'm sure the listeners will agree with me, that you are Superman, even though you say that you're not. I'm sure that you are. To have three boys and a husband that is away for nine months at a time... And to run your own business, that's insane. I'm trying, I'm trying. It's insane, <laughs> it's amazing, absolutely amazing. Okay, so we are going to get into it. So the reason I have Liz on the podcast is Liz is actually running a um, first aid course for my prenatal ladies, um, who are obviously all about to have babies. And um, also, I've had a ton of you asking questions about lots of first aid related um things so why not have her on the podcast I thought (laughs) so let's get straight into it um I'd like to start with kind of safe sleeping especially talk about this heat and safe sleeping because it is obviously really hot (laughs) much hotter than it normally is and it's quite difficult to know how to dress your child when they sleep anyway yeah so starting kind of I mean, I guess when they come to toddler stage, you can kind of tell a little bit more when they're uncomfortable, when they're hot. But when you are literally straight out of hospital or straight out from having your home birth, first night, second night, and you're kind of like, oh my goodness, how should they be naked? Should they be in a sleep suit? How should I be dressing my child for them to sleep safely? This all depends on the temperature of your nursery. So... Ideally, um, it's supposed to be between 16 and 20 degrees. I guarantee it's not right now. Um, As a rule, in this country, we don't normally have air conditioning. So there are things you can do to reduce the temperature in the room. Um, For instance, um, blackout blinds, keep those down, windows open underneath the blinds. Um, You can create your own air conditioning system with an electric fan um, and a bowl of either ice or... We do that. Yeah, I've I've been (laughs) doing it with my little boys' rooms. Um, so that's nice also another thing it's not very attractive and I don't particularly like it but if you've got a loft hatch um, it doesn't look nice open but however if you open it a lot of the hot air can disappear out the roof as well so that's quite a good one on my Facebook page at the moment I have got some posts up about how ways to keep your, your house cooler yeah 
Um, but when it comes to the babies, um, every baby is different. Some are hot babies, some are cold babies. I know my three were all very different. Um, but they don't need to be sleeping in hats or anything like that, obviously. Um, you're just going to have to gauge the temperature of your baby. So a lot of the time, yeah, just a nappy at the moment will be okay. But that's at, say, 8 o'clock in the evening, but then, say, 2 o'clock in the morning, they might be a lot colder. Yeah. So then you're possibly going to have to put layers on them and redress them, yeah. etc. Um, a lot of people do say to me um, that their baby's arms and legs get cold. Well, actually, arms and legs is fine, as long as the trunk of their body, so from their neck down to their groin area, is warm, not sweaty or anything like that, just warm, then that's OK. okay. Um, I have to say, I don't like having cold arms and things at night, but they, you know, the guidelines say that it's OK for babies. If you're going to be using um, sleeping bags, grow bags, etc., I have to say I did, and they were amazing. But depending on which brand you get, whether it's Grow, Mother Care Zone, or any other um, leading store, um, always go by their guideline on the back of the of the labels. Um, it always tells you, depending what tog the sleeping bag is, um, tells you whether they should be wearing a sleep suit and a baby grow, etc., or just a nappy and just the sleep, just the sleeping bag. And it all depends on the temperature of the nursery. Okay. Um, it is all quite complicated. It sounds like a minefield, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, everything yeah. to do with having yeah. a new baby is a minefield. I've been yeah. on about baby monitors recently, and I still oh, yeah. haven't bought my baby monitor because it is a minefield. It, it is, definitely. It really is. The other thing is, a lot of people don't want to use grow bags. You, you can use blankets and sheets. Just bear in mind that if you've got a sheet or a blanket and you fold it over, that's actually two blankets. Yes. And you fold it again and it's four, etc. Mm. So I have to say I didn't realise that when I had my first one. I was given a beautiful quilt and it was lovely and I was determined to put it in that bassinet. And I folded <laughs> it and folded it and folded it. And it was a July baby. Oh shit. So, but it looked nice. Sorry, I will turn on the podcast. <laughs> I'll keep doing that. I won't. I will not. This is going to be a clean uh, podcast. <laughs> oh dear! But obviously, they do say as well have the baby sleeping foot to foot, so the feet right. at the at the end of the bed, not the top end. That's yeah. because if they're going to be wriggling, because some babies can actually roll over when they're born, and some can wriggle. Right. Um, my niece used to turn right over on her tummy from the from day one because she she wouldn't sleep on her back. Um, but yeah, just bear that in mind and make sure if you have are using sheets and blankets that they are under their arms. Yes. So they don't come up over their head. So let's talk about this back front side thing because I know that now you're meant to have or that there's so much information out there about you must put your baby on their back mm-hmm. to sleep. In my mum's day it's only tummy, we were tummy or on side. Side to me makes a whole lot more sense because it's like the resuscitation position, like not the, but the, yeah, position that you lie on your side and you can like let any dribble go out of your mouth. But from a baby, I've always thought, well, if they're going to choke, surely being on their back would be even worse. But obviously not because this is the recommendation. No, that it's given. because of um, SIDS and cot death and things like that. Research yeah. has proven that on their backs is better. Um. I'm sort of personally in two minds about it just because of something that happened with one of my sons. Um, the guidelines do say to have them on their back and I would stick with the guidelines all the time. You have got, the babies have got a gag reflex so that if they are sick, etc., it will just come out. Um, okay. I guarantee as a new mum, you're not going to sleep well anyway so you're going to be constantly <laughs> checking them. Yeah. Um, but there is things you can do. You know, if, if baby's got a cold or reflux, one of mine had reflux, you can tilt the cot or the whatever they're sleeping in up yeah so at an angle so that um 
that's going to be better for their sleeping and for breathing and to give stomach acid etc yeah um so if you have got a sicky baby for instance you can do that but then they obviously will recommend you know you thoroughly wind them things like that but you can't stop babies being sick sometimes no um i you see you've got the risk of um flathead syndrome and things i can't remember the proper medical terminology yes. for it but with my children um one of them did have, um, he started to have a flat head. So we actually got a Scandinavian. Is your husband from Scandinavia? No, he's um, uh, French. <laughs> you had to think French. about French. that. I really did. <laughs> I, was, I don't know why I had to think about that, but he is. He's actually half French, half German. Oh, His okay. mum's German, dad's French. But um, I was recommended a Scandinavian pillow for my first one. And well, the second one used it because he's the one that started getting the flat head. So what's that? It's more prevalent in boys but basically if they're in the car seat for a long time yeah. for instance yeah. or if they prefer look my eldest was um i'm getting too technical now but he was he was in a very weird breech position inside me and when he came out he preferred one side so he was always leaning to one side really? so yeah so the obviously stiffness in his neck etc which uh, my wonderful chiropractor sorted out she specializes in babies she recommended this lilacudis pillow which all the Scandinavians use. Lilacudis pillow. Yeah. However, in this country, we don't recommend pillows for young no. babies. So it's... It, I, I would never just... Personally, I would never just say, go and get one. I would always go on, you know, medical advice. Yeah. Um, but there's loads you can do. Because with him as well, we were then told to sleep him on his side. Um, only during the day. Yeah. So we'd sleep him on his side for half an hour, go and check, turn him over on the other side sort of thing. But at night, he was always on his back. Right. But um, it, that all depends on different medical yeah. circumstances. But yeah. I would always just follow the guidelines at the moment and stick to them. Because I guess if you are taking them from car seat to pram, life lap, you know, yeah. bassinet, pram, to nap, to pram, to car seat, if you're not a, someone that wants to hold or wrap your baby or something, yeah. or then yeah, they don't actually get that much time no. off the back of the One thing I would say, again, talking about heat, mm. is... Um, we all like, you know, if you've got the baby in the car seat and they're fast asleep in there, that's great and we don't want to move them. However, they're only supposed to be in there for a couple of hours yeah. maximum. And also in this weather, they will sweat, really, really sweat. And of course, then it can cause yeah. things like seizures and stuff. So from a very early age, if I was you, once you get into your house or wherever you're going, if you do it from a really early age, start taking them out and putting them wherever they are so they can have their sleep and cool down. Um, and then put them back in the car seat again, you know, afterwards to leave, what have you. But if you start doing that at, say, three months old, when they've got used to sleeping in it, you're going to wake them up and they won't be able to go back to sleep. Yeah. So I would start doing safety precautions like that. Yeah. From a really, from day one. Yeah. Really. Especially because your baby's going to be summer baby. Yeah. Yeah. Still probably, hopefully be warm. That'd be nice. Comes. It'd yeah. be nice if it was still a bit, oh, a bit cooler than this, yeah. but still warm. So you just mentioned seizures, and that was something that we wanted to talk about. Yes. Yeah. Um, obviously terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying. I didn't really know this existed, but you were saying that one in ten... One newborn, in twenty. One in twenty newborns will have, or babies... Babies. ...will have um, a seizure. Yeah. And sometimes it's triggered by heat. It's always triggered by heat, right? Um, but normally that's from a virus, so that, you know the, the the body temperature. However, it could be because yes, you've got them in the car seat for too long, we've got too many layers on them, etc. So it's because babies cannot regulate their own temperature like we can. We can sweat, we can quite happily take our clothes off or put them on, etc. Have a shower, whatever. Um, they obviously can't do that. So um, a seizure, although it's a horrible thing to witness, um, for, especially the first time. It's 
it's like a safety mechanism. It's like a, a trip switch as such where they reset themselves. So they'll have this seizure because um, their baby's temperature can really spike as well. If you were to take their temperature, it might be 36.4, for instance, but then literally within seconds it can spike up to 39, which can wow. then obviously cause a seizure. So what's a normal baby's temperature? Everyone's a bit different. I know right. mine were all about 36.4, but right. at different ages as well. They, the first three months, it's supposed to be... Oh, I forgot exactly what it was. <laughs> um, I'd have to look it up. Um, and as they get older, um, it's slightly higher. Yeah. Um, but obviously babies can cope with temperature differently. Some babies will have a temperature of 39 and won't have a seizure, and they'll be okay with it. Other babies will have a temperature of 39 and be really quite poorly. Right. So... Um, to look at if a baby's going to have a seizure, they'll obviously be red because they're very hot. They will potentially be quite rigid initially and shaking. You can't see this obviously on the podcast, what I'm yeah. doing. Um, they'll be possibly frothing at the mouth, eyes rolling. Not a nice thing to witness. No. And depending why they're having it, it could just last a couple of seconds or it could be a couple of minutes. Um, but it just depends why they're having it and from a first aid point of view you don't know why they're having it no okay so all you'd want to do initially is get their clothes off this is when you do need a decent pair of first aid scissors because um obviously kitchen scissors for instance they're sharp they've got pointy ends you could cause an injury to the casualty um so first aid scissors i've got some here to show you actually but um, they're rounded at the end yeah but they're also very sharp tough cut scissors um, get the clothes off, um, call 999 and open a window, open a door, something like that, get some air in, okay? And the seizure may well be over by the time you get the paramedics on the phone there. So in, in that case, you would want to just pop the baby in the recovery position. Right. So it's a different recovery position to after you've been doing CPR and things, yeah. but that's because you literally leave them where they are as long as they're safe. On their side, you don't want to be cuddling them or anything because obviously you can raise their body temperature again. Yeah. Okay, um, and I can't tell you any more because I'm only a first aider. Obviously, once they get off to hospital, which is what you would do, because you're going to ring 999, they will always send an ambulance for a baby with a seizure, um, and they will find out what's happened. So right. it could well be they're just overheated, but it could be something as serious as meningitis, which right. is why it never gets ignored. Yeah, okay. okay. That's good to know. Obviously, they could appear to be non-breathing afterwards. Okay. Um, Often, this is just because they are resetting themselves. But, God forbid, but imagine yourself in that position. You're going to be panicking anyway. And a couple of seconds of not breathing is going to seem like minutes. So you do have to monitor them for breathing um, and possibly administer CPR. Okay. Which brings us on to CPR. (laughs) (laughs) This is flowing quite nicely. (laughs) So, CPR on a newborn. Yeah. Is it the two finger thing? It is two fingers. Okay. We're going to try, for the purposes of this podcast, to explain how one would go about doing this. But it is obviously Liz's recommendation that you do a course, ideally with Liz, if you're in Devon. (laughs) Um, You do a course and you practice. You've got like infant mannequins, haven't you? Yeah, and child mannequins. And child mannequins. Um, To do this in person because there is... We were just discussing it before, but obviously there is nothing like having to do CPR on your own child and fear of breaking them. And you were saying that you actually do have to be quite strong. Yeah, quite brutal. And quite, yeah, brutal. So let's try and explain how you would do CPR on an infant. Okay. Um, 
as Emma was just saying, we do recommend you come and have a, a go on the mannequins because you do use a force. You would never practice on your own child, um, and you w- will be surprised how um, different or how dif- different it would feel to how how you'd expect. To be mm. fair, um, so to do CPR on a baby, then um, obviously you um, make sure that they aren't breathing. Yeah. Um, because you would never do CPR on a baby that is breathing. So you check their breathing for up to 10 seconds. Um, That's going to seem like quite a long time. But to any new parent and any parent out there, I guarantee that you've all checked your babies and checked your babies and checked your babies (laughs) and gone, oh, God, oh, God, are they breathing? Are they... But sometimes a baby will stop breathing for up to 10 seconds or something. That's quite normal for them. Really? Yeah. The the mats in the special care baby units that they sleep on... um, they, the alarms only go off after 20 seconds no if they're way. not breathing. Wow. So, yeah, and if you're, if you're there thinking, oh, my God, there's something wrong with my baby, and you're checking, and you're not going to be counting for 10 seconds, to be fair. You're not going to be calm and saying, one, two, three. You're probably going to be, one, two, three, one, two, three, oh, my God, they're not breathing, and yeah. start CPR. But ideally, you want to wait 10 seconds. If they're not breathing, you want to obviously make sure their airway is open. Again, this is something else I can show you yeah. on the mannequins. Yeah. You check that their airway is clear, so that if there was vomit or... Um, something they've choked on or something in the front of their mouth, you would remove that. Then you would start doing five breaths initially. Um, this is not actually a big breath at all. It's literally a tiny puff on a baby. We class a baby as um, under 12 months. Yeah. And then you start doing the compressions. Um, so you do use two fingers in the centre of the chest. I say the centre of the chest. I know where that is. You yeah. may not know where that is, but it's basically... Um, if you draw a line at the bottom of the armpits and then two fingers just below that line, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, and you have to compress at least, well, a third of the of the depth of the baby's chest. Wow. Okay, so it's a long way, yeah. That's it's a, long, a way. long way. Yeah. And you have to do um, 120, com- between 100 and 120 compressions per minute. So you do five breaths, 30 compressions... Did I, I didn't say, no, I didn't say that right. <laughs> Five breaths, 30 compressions at a rate of 120 beats per minute. Okay? Wow. Does that make sense? And then two breaths, 30 compressions, two breaths, 30 compressions. That would be a minute of CPR. Okay? Right. So you have to, with a baby and a child, it's very important that obviously you get help as soon as you can. But if you're on your own and your phone is in a, not in the same room as you or something, you have to do CPR for a minute on your own before calling for help. Right. The reason for that is because with a baby and a child, you would expect it to be a respiratory arrest that they are suffering from, not a cardiac arrest, which is what you'd expect for an adult. Um, obviously, I can explain this more fully in our classes. Yes. I don't want to confuse anyone. Um, so you do the CPR for a minute, then ring for help, and then you go straight back to it. Yeah. And also, um, any casualty may well vomit while you're doing CPR. Um, don't confuse that with breathing. So what you would do is turn them on their side, get the vomit out, and then check for breathing and go back to it. Go back to it. God, just listening to you saying that makes me realise how important it is for people to do a proper course. It's only £20 per person as well. Well, exactly. And, I mean, what's that compared to your child's life? Exactly. Like, it should should almost be mandatory, in my opinion. I think it should be, to be fair. Like to, and and you would want to have that confidence to you know, be able to help your child yeah. if something. I get so many emails, um, and so do other um, the other franchisees that we work with, 
um, thanking us, choking especially. Yeah. But CPR on a child is different again, okay? So that with that, um, it, it's we use, obviously that's slightly harder force, but mm. it's the heel of one hand in the centre of the chest. Yeah. Just one hand, not two. Obviously an adult is two. Yeah. But again, it's just, I can't really talk no, no, about no. it too much over this, but um, to actually show you would be much more beneficial. Yeah. Crikey. Wow. Okay. So, moving on from that hideous topic <laughs> of CPR on a child, baby. We've done two horrible ones so I know, far. We really have, haven't we? <laughs> this isn't a very it's nice, nice to meet you. Positive, <laughs> positive, uplifting podcast, but <laughs> it's sowing some seeds to, you know, really do something and like book yourself in for a course basically because yeah yeah you're gonna feel the same way I do (laughs) right so um next thing let's cover head bumps head bumps head bumps so I mentioned to you about my friend who slipped over dropped her or her baby just kind of flew out of her arms she was devastated obviously baby was absolutely fine but she was she thought she'd bumped his head and oh, she was just terrified that something had happened. In that situation, which is a very possible situation, everyone has these, you know, things that go wrong. Um, what would you... Don't worry, don't worry, honestly. What would you, um, what would you suggest? <laughs> We've got phones going off and vibrating. <laughs> don't panic, seriously. <laughs> and it was on silent. Um... Right, with head bumps, um, do you know with your friends, if uh, her little one, if the little one had a bump on his head? He did have a bump on his so head. So was it like a big egg type thing? No, it wasn't huge, but you, if you but run your hand out. over it, you could feel it for yeah. sure. That's what we look out for. So with a head bump, and I guarantee as well, a toddler will keep finding the same corner until they're a little bit taller and they'll keep finding the same one. Um, but it's a good thing that they get a bump on their head because obviously the injury is out. It looks awful um, and obviously it can be really painful. But the fact that it's come out and it's not gone into the head is a good thing. Right. So one thing I always say, because I teach toddler classes as well, um, is to our toddlers and to the kids that we have in the classes, you must tell an adult if you bump your head. The reason for this is because we as parents or carers need to look out for certain signs and symptoms Mm. with head injuries um, as to whether we would take you up to A&E or not. Okay, um, but with a head bump that's come out, a um, bit of an egg on the head, you just put a nice cool pack on it um, to bring the swelling down and you would monitor the child for, um, if they were sick, so you'd, you'd take them up to A&E. Um, dizzy, confused, um, slurred speech, confusion, I've said confusion. Um, pain, obviously if they're unconscious, that's another, you would take them straight up to A&E with mm-hmm. that. Um, but in our classes we do talk about concussion and compression. Compression being the, the bad one that obviously they've had a bump and it's gone in. So potentially it's bleeding into the head and that would obviously be a full-on emergency. Mm. In any case, if you're worried, especially if it's an infant, so you, they can't communicate to you any signs really straight to A&E. Yeah, definitely. I, I remember I was on holiday in Turkey a couple of years ago and um, you know that awful sound when a head hits concrete? Yes. And there was this um, mum with her toddler and we were walking by the pool and the toddler slipped and banged his head. Oh. Anyway, she picked him up and gave him a cuddle and he screamed momentarily, that was all it was. She sat down on the sunbed, had a chat with her friend, um, put the little boy on the sunbed, by this time he was asleep, covered him up in a towel and she went and jumped in the pool. And I'm not an interfering person, I'm not. I, I would never interfere and I would never tell someone what to do. However, I sat there and I just thought, oh God, oh God, what do I do, what do I do? And I... I if it was my child, I'd have really 
not been happy with the situation. So, um, also the fact that he went straight to sleep. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyway, I, I, I grabbed her and I just said, look, I'm really sorry, please don't think I'm interfering, but... And I explained my concerns. Anyway, he ended up in hospital. Really? For a few days. Um, nothing too serious, but he was in there for a couple of days. So I'm so oh, pleased goodness. I did say something. Yeah, but again, it's people's naivety. You know, if you yeah. don't know, no. you don't know what to look out for and things, then... No. You, I haven't got a clue with you. And often, you know, sometimes, and I've seen it happen, you're on holiday and you think, do I really need to go? Do I really have to go? I don't know the hospital. Oh, could be fussing. Yeah. When, really, with kids, you're not fussing. No. I've got the same situation going on with my middle child at the minute. Oh, no. He had an a injury on his foot yesterday, and I think it's going to be an A&E evening tonight. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, God. Um, okay, so we've covered that. We've covered that. How about choking? So I know we covered that a little bit at the be- beginning of the CPR thing to check for chokes. But if you um, discover choking, you've obviously got the Heinrich. Is that what you say? Heimlich. Heimlich manoeuvre. You're not allowed to say that anymore. Are you not? No. Oh, scrap that from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing. It's an abdominal thrust. Right. So, but that is not what you do with a baby. Right. Um, and obviously, you'd be more gentle with a child yes. than you would an adult. Um, it's one of those things again choking is the main reason that people come to our classes everyone's terrified of it Um, when you start weaning your baby at around 6 months that's when I do get lots of people saying oh I need to fit in I need to come to this class because I'm going to start next week you know so um, but bearing in mind a baby can choke any time you know they they can choke on mucus they can choke on vomit Um, a toy I've recently had um, been to a class where um, a lady had, a, he's older now, but a nine-week-old baby, and his lovely older brother had fed him a Smarty. Oh. So this is the kind of hazard you need to look out for, yeah. though. You know, older siblings and, and cousins and things, feeding little ones when they're not supposed to eat. Um, things with choking, though, obviously um, there's signs and symptoms to look out for. We talk about the differences between gagging and choking in our classes and it is quite a big difference yeah. and if the baby or child is gagging you actually don't want to do anything right um it's only when they're choking that you actually want to intervene okay so the whole you need to stay reassuring don't leave the room don't let them eat on their own um there's also in the classes other things we can talk about um hazards when when choking happens a lot like in the car seat you don't want to feed them in the car no front facing push chairs um, you know, um, that can always be a hazard. You can't see them. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what we do is initially, <clears throat> excuse me, five back slaps, which you'd be surprised how hard they are. Um, obviously, you don't have to do five back slaps if um, the food or whatever it is comes out first or second time. You can stop. <laughs> don't cause any undue <laughs> injury. Yeah. Um, but if the back slaps don't work, that's when we talk about abdominal thrusts or chest thrusts on a baby. Right. Um, and again, I can't show you because we haven't got yeah. camera here. Um, but it's definitely something I would recommend um, having a go on a mannequin because you do have to use quite a lot of force. And also you want to find the right positioning of where you do it on the chest. Right. It has changed over the last few years. Um, on a baby, it used to be where we do it on, a, on an adult and a child, but it's, it's higher up on the chest now right. because they reckon it causes less injury. Right. Um, but then we also talk about when you would need to ring for an ambulance, etc. Yeah. Um, and I think it's much easier when you've got your, your tools Absolutely. there to um, talk about. Absolutely. But, um, you'd be surprised how much force is needed with choking, though, and it is one of the biggest worries with parents. Yeah. So, I mean, it's yeah. definitely one of Hendrick's main concerns. Yeah. That's yeah. why he really wants to do yeah. a first aid course, yeah. for sure. I have to say, when my it's always my middle one who has these scenarios, but when he choked, 
for the first time. He's choked a lot. Um, but in my previous career, we used to deal with a lot of choking babies because they did dehydration on a flight, etc. But for me, it was always, yeah, deal with them hand and back, fine. Um, it was never really that scary. Um, with my middle child, when he first choked, he was about 18 months old, and um, realised he was choking. There was a massive chunk of biscuit that came out on the second or third back blow. Um, I picked him up and gave him a cuddle and realised very quickly that actually he was still silent. Yeah. So And he still couldn't breathe properly. So I went back to the back blows and um, this other massive chunk of biscuit came out. Wow. Um, and straight away he started crying and saying I'd hurt him. And Which is great. That's what yeah. you want to hear. That yeah. Because his airway is clear. He was crying. You know, yeah. fabulous. But I, I'd never happen, it never happened to me before where it was actually two massive chunks yes. came out. You know, you kind of assume that it's just the one. You've got to bear, the, bear these things all in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Don't think you've just finished with the one, no. Um, okay, burns. Yeah. Burns and sunburns. Yeah. So we were saying, God forbid, you would accidentally drop tea or something on your child. Um, and you were telling me about this, what people used to do about yep. putting butter on burns, which just sounds hideous. Yep. Um, so, what should you do if you find there is a burn on your child somehow? Okay. Well, we talk about first, second and third degree burns in the classes. Um, a first degree burn would be sunburn. So, obviously, initially you want to prevent sunburn. So, keep them out of the heat, um, you know, the midday sun, etc. Try and have them in the shade, wear a sun hat... Um, guidelines do change all the time with what sun creams you should use on a baby. Yeah, um, I read something about you should only put sun cream on baby's hand, back of hands, and something else. I uh, don't know about that. That to was be like fair. infant, infant, infant. If you have a teeny tiny, because their skin is too sensitive. But I don't know if this is right or not. I need to do some more research. Yeah, the thing I would suggest is just make sure you've got a good sun cream with. Um, at least a factor 30, yeah. and make sure it's got a good five-star rating for UVA on yeah. the back. Um, this particular one I'm showing you, it's, it's brilliant. It's been designed by a, um, a, a cancer specialist up in Bris- uh, oh, Bristol, so it's really good for my um, eldest who's got eczema. Wow. Um, but I would. it's a difficult one because... Um, they do say babies shouldn't have sun cream on under 12 months. The guidelines right. may have changed. Because I, I'm out that zone now yeah. because my kids are 8, 7 and 4. So they've always got sun cream on. If you're going on holiday or something, or like the weather is now, I, I would definitely say to put sun cream on your baby. Yeah. But just speak to a pharmacist, get the latest guidelines on what they would recommend. Because obviously they can still get burnt in the shade yeah. as well. But basically you just want to prevent it. So, and make sure, even though a sun cream is um, waterproof, etc., make sure you put it on again and again and again. Okay. They do say now, um, government guidelines are still saying use factor 50 on a right. child. However, they are reducing it, or supposedly, reduce, beauticians and things tell us now to put 30 on. There's because, very little difference between 30 yeah, and 50, isn't there? But a 50, for instance, will really clog a child's skin and it stops the vitamin D coming in as well. Right. So as long as you're using it properly and, you know, often enough then a SPF 30 should be okay. Okay. So then the next level of burn would be a second degree. Yeah. And that would be called... To treat by... some burn. Sorry, I didn't oh, yeah. cover that yeah. to me. Um, obviously, you can make sure they're hydrated. Lots of water, lots of fluids. Things like ice lollies. I mean, we don't really want to give them too much sugar and stuff, but if they'll eat more ice lollies, fine, that's hydrated. Lots of veg, like cucumber, that's always a, a common one. Yeah. Uh, watermelon and stuff, that's full of fluids. 
Um, but if they actually do get sun sunburn, then ideally a cool shower um, and then after sun. But after sun, it does contain oils, but it's the only time you would use a cream on, on a burn would be for sun, sunburn. Right. Okay. A second degree burn, you wouldn't. So if we move on to second degree yeah. burns then. So second and third degree burn... Um, Obviously, far more serious. A second degree burn is very, very painful because it's actually the nerve endings, which it's gone as deep as the nerve endings. Oof. So, have you ever had a second degree burn? Well, I don't know. Is that well? If you burn yourself on blistered, the oven, yeah, 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 second degree. So, if it's, it's blistered, swollen. sticky, um, ripped skin, possibly very swollen, red, that's second degree. Because and it's because it's got all the nerve endings. It's the most painful type of burn. Mm. So, ideally, what you want to do with that is cool it for at least ten minutes under cool, cool running water. Um, I'm still told to tell you 10 minutes however we do hear of burn specialists all the time to say 20 minutes but my training says 10 minutes at the moment so definitely between 10 and 20 Um, if you think you've got a toddler there who's screaming because they've got a burn this actually happened to me when my little one touched the iron Um, and it was it was hard keeping his hand for the initial minute underwater under the running water but he he soon realised that actually it was far far better for him, more comfortable to be under the running water. Every time he went to rip it out, he realised that the air was making it more painful. So actually, 10 minutes with a toddler, cool running water was absolutely OK. But you've got to remember, you've got to be, have that reassuring face yeah. as well. If you if you look scared and everything, they're going to look scared. Can um, you do like a bucket with ice in to keep it cool or is that um, effective? They don't recommend that now. If that's all you've got, then fine. You, you know, if you're somewhere where there isn't running water. Yeah, but basically you've got the risk of cross-contamination. Right. Um, and obviously the water will warm up. Yeah. So um, ideally running water. And they do say as well, cool running water. Well, in the ideal world, if you've got a hot and a cold tap, you're just going to use cold water, aren't you? And the same with the mixer tap. You know, if you can get the correct temperature, great. But I have to say I would just stick with cold. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, at least 10 minutes under cool running water. We um, do talk about burn gel in our classes. Burn gel is amazing. It's an antiseptic and a pain reliever. So you could pop that on afterwards. Um, but then the other thing you do is put cling film or a plastic bag as such over the burn. Okay. You certainly don't put a tea towel over or any kind of cloth at all. The same with if, you, if the child gets burnt, you don't rip the clothes off. Um, just leave, you know, cool it on top of the clothes. Okay. Okay. Third degree? Third degree burn would be something like a fire or um, deep chemical burn. Right. So horrific yeah. type of burn. So that really isn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, again, if you can cool the affected area, brilliant. Obviously, if we're talking about a house fire, you're not going to hang around Mm-mm. in a burning building. Um, again, don't go pulling out bits of clothing and things like that. If you can wrap it in cling film then that's ideal um, after it's cooled. But obviously it's going to be a 999 job and you're just going to have to do the best you can. Yeah. So, um, again, in the classes I've got images of all these different types of burns and scolds and things. Any scolds, well, any burns on the face or the groin area, um, obviously you're going to do your first aid, but you need to ring 999 as well. Yeah. And get an ambulance there as soon as possible. Yeah. And obviously it goes without saying we don't put cling film or anything around a face. No. (laughs) Nope, that would not be sensible. <laughs> but the reason we use cling film is because it stops the air getting to it and it acts as a second skin. Right. And when you get up to hospital, they can just pull it off without ruining any blisters or pulling any more skin. Whereas if you can imagine, years ago, they'd say get a, you know, a wet, wet towel, tea towel or something. something like yeah. that, which would just rip all the skin off. Ugh. 
And then you slap butter on top of it as well. It's going to be even worse. Do not use any um, creams or oils or anything on a burn initially. No. Um, I do hear things like lavender oil and things like that. Um, I cannot recommend those from a first aid point of view. Um, It's just water, burn gel and cling film. Okay. Um, The healing process is slightly different. But again, I not really willing to talk about that yeah. <laughs> I would leave that to the uh, professionals yeah so lastly we were discussing how important it is to have a first aid kit yeah and quite a specific one for toddlers and infants or is it pretty much the same I'm um, pretty much the same I think um I'm not allowed to recommend any brands yeah anyway so um we all know good old cowpole okay I use cowpole and everything else but um we can I can only recommend um Uh, liquid paracetamol liquid ibuprofen as such so we don't put any brands in our first aid kits because that will be up to you to choose but what we have in our first aid kits are obviously plasters that's a a must with babies and toddlers yeah Um, we have burn gel we have a a brilliant set of um, tough cut scissors yeah do you want me to show you all this yeah yeah Yeah. let's I will include a photo so if you are listening to this and you want to see what is in Liz's um, first aid kit Go onto my Instagram and just flick after her lovely face and you will see it. That's where I'm going to put it. So our first aid kits, we've recently won an award actually, Best Safety Product Voted by Parents. I can't remember which company it was for. Um, But uh, yeah, so first thing is we have a multitude of plasters in here. They are all um, individually wrapped. They're all sterile. They're all hypoallergenic. Yeah. Okay. Um, just because they're hypoallergenic, though, doesn't mean that you or your child will not develop an allergy towards it. So bear that in mind. Okay. If you were allergic to plasters, we have a couple of gauze dressings, which can be secured with micropore tape. Yeah. A lot of people who are allergic to plasters aren't necessarily allergic to that. Okay. Obviously, gauze dressing and stuff is for um, slightly more severe bleeding than a plaster will deal with as well. We've also then got bandages. So. Um, obviously bandages you can use for breaks and things like that, sprains, but also if you're allergic to micropore and plasters, you've got that option. Okay. We have got the burn gel that I was just talking about. Yes. Two sachets of that. I would not be without that with the first aid kit, I have to say. They are amazing. It's a painkiller and an antiseptic. We've got a couple of cleansing wipes. I don't know about you guys, I say this all the time, but when I was young, my mum always used Desol or TCP or something, um, which stings. Stings, yeah, like, really stings. Yeah. Um, these will not sting, they're okay. alcohol free, so brilliant little cleansing wipes. Then we've got the tough cut scissors, which I mentioned to you before. Oh, yes. so oh, yeah, um, they're brilliant, they're brilliant in the cars. They'll cut through seat, uh, seat belts, layers of clothing, wow. leather, things like that. Um, we've also got some safety pins. Um, again, we t- in our classes we talk about things for safety pins, for brakes, and things like that. And there's a set of tweezers as well. So uh, tweezers for putting on dressings, pulling out splinters, things like that. I have to say, recently I've removed a few ticks. They're rife, so a set of tweezers is great for removing ticks if you know how to do it. It's not something we cover in the class, but I happen to do it quite a lot recently. So we don't have any medications in here, but like I said, I would definitely recommend liquid paracetamol and ibuprofen. You can get them in sachets, so they're 5ml sachets that are already um, the right quantity for you. Um, I would definitely recommend an antiseptic cream of some description, whichever brand you prefer. Um, what else? What else? What else? I've got, I think, when you've got your baby, obviously as you get to know them, you you add to your first aid kit. I've got inhalers in mine um, 
for one of mine. Sterry strips. I've got three boys, yes. so I've got sterry strips. Um, we don't have an eye wash. I have to say, as a parent, I think you always carry around water. So just water, tap water, bottle water is fine for washing out eyes, things like that. Um, what else? Thermometer. I would have a thermometer yes. in there. Again, that is down to you. In our classes, I talk about which, which ones we are recommended and which aren't anymore. Um, We've again, just that's down bought, to actually, a from mother care like a one that you put in the ear yeah is that good yeah 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 to make sure it should have because it's from mother care it should have the adapter on the end because it's obviously like a babies... tp one yeah that'll be fine like yeah the infrared ones are highly recommended now as well oh, so you can literally is. just point it from from here at distance to at your forehead no. so while the baby's asleep or what have you and you can also test like the bath water temperature and stuff what? so that's a good I one i didn't know that yeah yeah i know they existed the strips it. aren't recommended anymore you know no. the forehead strips um, and the digital ones that go under the armpit, they are recommended. But out of my own experience, I have to say, they're great for babies. But when those babies start moving around, they're yes. really quite difficult to use. Well, that's what I thought about the under-the-tongue one, because I've always had an under-the-tongue one. But like, even I find it difficult to keep it there for the length of time yeah. that you need to keep it there. So to keep an infant, to keep their mouth closed with that in would be virtually impossible, yeah. I would have thought. Yeah. So that's One thing I would always ear. say as well about a thermometer is um, they do vary very, very slightly right. in temperature. Um, but I would check your own temperature when you do baby's temperature. Because if your temperature's normal and it's reading slightly high, yeah. um, then you're not going to panic quite so much with your little one. Very good. You see what I mean? Oh. I always do my temperature. When, and I do both their ears as well. Yeah. So, which can sometimes be different. Yeah. So that has covered everything that we wanted to cover off in the podcast um and we are bang on 40 minutes look at oh, that amazing i know <laughs> so let's just finish tell everyone if you're based in devon where they can find you how they can find you um how they can contact you just so if anyone does want to do a course with you then they have the information there to do that okay um so on my website is um www.devon dot minifirstaid.co.uk um, I've also got a Facebook page um, which is just Mini First Aid Devon the classes that we've been talking about now um, are two hours long they are £20 per person um, if you go on my website you can see all the open classes I've got listed around um, Devon I do cover from sort of Plymouth up to Western Supermet at the moment oh, that's a long way yeah, yeah but I haven't got open classes all over that area right. um, my primarily I'm on private classes more than open mm-hmm. classes to be fair so that's for families so if you want the grandparents involved or other um, expectant parents etc that's what you're doing yeah um, other carers, babysitters as well. I have to say, I've got three babysitters. All three of them have, have been to my classes. Um, so twenty pound per person, minimum of six people for a private class. Um, what else can I say? Uh, my phone number's on the website, etc. Email. Um, email is Liz at miniFirstAid.co.uk. I almost forgot that then. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And you do um, not only infant ones, but toddler ones and yeah, kids yeah. ones. Toddler classes for three to six-year-olds. Um, that gives them a very, very basic introduction to first aid. Um, it's, it's a brilliant class, I have to say. Getting them to learn, their, um, learn 999. They need to know their addresses. Um, and we just teach them recovery position and things. And just why we put plasters on and things. You know, sometimes if you think from a, a child's mentality, they've already hurt themselves. And then you're coming at them with this sticker... And they don't, they don't get why. And we don't always assume 
that you know we've got to explain it to them because we know best mm. so in our classes we explain why we do the things we do and head bumps and things mm. like that and then the, the next class is about safe eating yeah. um so about chopping food etc and how to recognize choking and what to do if your friend is choking that's good yes yeah, it's, it's brilliant it's absolutely it makes brilliant. mum's life easier as well if she doesn't have to explain i'm putting a plaster on you because <laughs> yeah i have to say because i with my youngest one bless him he was petrified of plasters really? and he's been to quite a few of my classes now he's like my little patriot bless him um, and he loves plasters now he's not obsessed with them or anything like that because some kids are obsessed um but now he's had it explained by his mummy and he's like oh Okay, it's not scary anymore. And because they put plasters on the teddy that we use and things like that. Um, but the other class I run is for 7 to 11-year-olds, so going to schools or private groups again in yeah. the summer holidays and things. Um, great class, one hour long, real, really fun, because we also incorporate um, our at-fast choking vest. Right. So I've got an adult one that the adults can put on, and I've also got a child one, and it simulates properly choking and you can do what you call the Heimlich manoeuvre the abdominal thrust on it wow. um, which you would never practice on a new, new, normal human being no. unless they were choking so um, oh, that sounds great yeah well Liz thank you so much for coming on the podcast very welcome thank it you it has been me. incredibly informative <clears throat> quite scary I'm very <laughs> pleased that I will be doing a course with you I have to say and learning a lot more about all of these little bits that we've been in. we do cover more into. topics as well mm. yeah um, but thank you so much. So I hope you all found that really, really interesting. I certainly have. Um, and hopefully it's so to seed for you to at least make sure that you have a first aid kit with you and you look into where you can maybe do a little infant course at some point. Um, maybe you've done one already and firm up on some of these points. All right. Well, lovely to check in with you guys this week and I will catch up with you next week. Any questions at all, always pop me an email. Emma, no, it's not. It's mumtalkpodcast. Actually, I've got so many emails. Mumtalkpodcast at gmail.com. And you can always reach out to me on social media just through Emma Jolin. J-A-U-L-I-N. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.